Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Aaron. I've been doing these heavy-duty series about the urban church and politics, and so rather than digging right into another new big series or something, I want to just do a few individual episodes and uh, see where things take it. Maybe we call it a palate cleanser or something. And if you have any suggestions of topics that you'd like me to cover, things that you think would be interesting, please do send them my way. Uh, and uh, maybe I'll, maybe if I have something to say on the topic, maybe I will I will do that. Today I want to talk about our perception of time and our relationship to time. What do I mean by that? For example, we know that our perception of the flow of time accelerates as we age. When I was a kid, it seemed like summer vacation, it just lasted forever. Now actually I think summer vacations were longer back then because I know they're trying to minimize breaks and all of that. Uh, but certainly today, uh, you know, a year's pass uh, faster than summer vacation used to when I was a kid, especially it seems at age 35 plus just goes into crazy high gear, the flow of time and like, whoa, what happened? Another is our relationship to future time or to the story arc of our lives. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. I, I This struck me at the time. Uh, so because this, this incident has stuck with me my whole life. I was probably around 16 or 17 and I was riding with my dad in a car and there was some song, we were listening to the top 40 station, some song came on. I don't remember what song it was and, but it was very popular. It was in the top 10 on the charts. And my dad said, huh, you know, I, I'd never heard that song. I don't know what that song is. He made some comment that he didn't even know what it was. And my mind was blown. Because I knew that he listened to like the, you know the music of his youth and things like that, and that uh, I you know he didn't really listen to the the top forty, but I figured he would at least have to know what songs were popular. And I just remember thinking to myself, I can never imagine a day when I will not know what the top forty songs are, which are the popular songs out there. I said yes. I can imagine that I might not listen to that, but at least I'm going to know what it is. Well, of course, as you know, the time when I actually had no clue what songs were popular came long ago. And what happened was when I was younger, I was very conscious of the fact that I had changed, that I had grown, that I had matured, that I was a very different person at 17 than I was at 13 that I was a very different person at 25 than I was at 22, that I was a very different person at 30 than I was at age 25. But I could not really intellectually or emotionally connect to the fact that I would change in the future. I didn't realize that I was going to keep changing. And I just had this assumption that the desires that I had and the way that I thought today was going to be the way that I was going to think forever. And I guess if you'd really pressed me on it, I would have said, well, of course, I'm going to get old. I'm going to be different when I'm old. But I didn't really have this connection to it. And one of the things that I seem to notice is that it seems to be about age 35 when people are finally able to start connecting intellectually and emotionally to the future story arc of their lives. For me, I remember my, uh, you know, I had three, I had a grandfather who died in the 1980s. And then, uh, you know, it was a very long stretch before any other close family members died. Uh, but finally, my grandfather, who was in his late 90s, passed away. 
And I remember going to see him in the hospital, and I was very sad. I didn't have a lot of experience of death. It was really emotionally affecting me, and it was a very sad time. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't cause me to think about myself in any way. I was really focused on him. A few years later, though, after that age 35 transition, I can't remember exactly how old I was. Um, you know, I, I was getting ready uh, to have uh, Christmas. We were going to do Chinese Christmas uh, in, uh, in Chicago with my, me and my brother and my, my aunt and uncle and the cousins lived up there. And we were going to do this. And I get a call from my mom and she says, Aaron, your grandmother is in the hospital. And, you know, my mom was working. She actually worked in that hospital. And she's like, I, I can't stay with her the whole time. I need you and Luke and everybody to come down so you can take time, uh, you know, spending time with Nanny in the hospital. So I drove down. You know, we canceled the we canceled the Chinese carryout uh, Christmas in Chicago. We drove down there. And, uh, you know, we all took turns staying with my grandmother in the hospital. And, you know, she ended up surviving, which was great, and lived several more years, which was excellent. But I remember... Going, sitting in the hospital room on like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day with my grandmother and looking at her in that hospital bed. And for the first time in my life, it really hit me. Wait a minute, Aaron. When you are old and in the hospital, who is going to come stay with you? You know, because I didn't have any kids. I wasn't married. I'm like, wow. I, for the first time, I could really project forward my future story arc in my life, and I could emotionally connect to what it would be like to be an old older person with no kids and no family. I'm like, wow, that is not a future that looks very appealing. And it's very, very different. I remember when I was 32, at least as when I was 32, I was militantly anti-kid, did not want to have kids said, man, this would just get in the way of my lifestyle. Can't imagine that I would ever want to have kids. And, of course, that changed over time. It changed over time uh, in that 35 era. And so I think that the, the fact that this awareness of our future story arc of our life hits at times where other really critical things are happening is one of the precipitators of the midlife crisis. For example... Uh, you know, when you're in your 20s and you're starting out in your career, you graduate from college, you get a job, you're moving up, you're getting promotions, the sky is the limit, you know, all the possibilities are out there. You keep going into your 30s, maybe you're now in middle management, you're moving up, you're moving up. But at some point in everyone's career, we sort of hit the level that we're probably going to reach. We start to plateau. We start to see that, hey, the person who started a few years after I did is now passed me up. You start to realize, hey, um, maybe I'm not going to make vice president. I'm probably never going to be the CEO of a company. And we come face to face with essentially the limits of what we're going to achieve in life. Now, that's not everybody. You can reinvent yourself. You can do different things. I've reinvented myself a couple times. You know, I've never thought I'd be doing this podcast on, you know, sort of Christian men's issues, you know, life, life issues. Uh, but for most people, you kind of like hit, you hit a bit of a limit. We hit a plateau, right? And I have to realize like there's certain things I'm probably never going to accomplish in life. I'm not going to be the president of the United States, right? There's a lot of things, there's going to be limits that that hit. And this usually happens, I think, for men somewhere in your mid-30s to mid-40s, where you start coming face-to-face with the limits 
of your life when all, you know, the walls are kind of closing in in terms of the possibilities. You've chosen your career. You've chosen your field. It becomes very, it's way more difficult than people think to change careers. And now at the same time that's happening, you all of a sudden are able to relate to this future story arc. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've only, you know, I've got years and years and years, decades of my life left. And what, have, what, what am I going to achieve? And, and I can easily create a sort of a, a midlife crisis for people and cause them to try to take radical action to shake, um, shake something up. The same thing happens with women, I think, in careers. But there's another dimension, especially for uh, those who, you know, did not get married, did not have kids. They're coming up on this era, you know, in the late 30s, it becomes much, much harder for women to meet people and to get married. Coming up on the end of their fertility years, you know, again, at the same time that they're able to emotionally connect to the story arc of what future childlessness, you know, and, and living alone um, might look like. And again, when they were younger, just like when I was 32, it's like, oh, I don't want to have kids or it's plenty of time. And all of a sudden, wow, now you start realizing, whoa, things are very, very, very different. And so um, we start to see, we start to see that future. So I, now one of the things I realize now is even though I'm not sure all of the changes that I'm going to experience, I'm now aware that, Hey, I'm not done changing yet. I'm, I'm, I'm going to change more in the future. In fact, I was thinking about my life and reflecting the other day. And I said, probably I changed more in my forties than I did in my thirties. You know, I had like a pretty radical life transformation in my my forties. I've sort of been fairly, I think, fairly sim same, uh, the same, maybe slower change in recent years. But change is not linear. You know, we have these different kind of quantum leaps that we have. So occasionally, like I will have new thoughts about my future, new changes, and and how I see the world. And that doesn't surprise me anymore. I know they're going to happen. Some of them may surprise me. Some of them may not surprise me. So one of the things, you know, I'm 51. So one of the things that's really started to hit me is, hey, you know what? I'm starting to see the end of the line for me. That I see that like, you know, my working era, um, you, you know, my my uh, era of prime adulthood is going to be coming to an end in the not too distant future. That's just realistic. I have a buddy uh, who's about 10 years older than me. And he, uh, his name's Carl. And he sent me a PowerPoint diagram that was just called hourglass.ppt several years ago. And it was literally a calendar. He's like, look, this is my life expectancy for someone my age is like 85. And so I've made a sort of a list of, you know, every single year between now and 85. So he had like, like little like boxes labeled one through 85. And every year that it happened, there was just an X through the ones that he'd already experienced. He's like, I'm seeing the, the clock ticking. And I'm like, well, I remember thinking that, well, I got like, that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, but it didn't really, didn't, I mean, I didn't really resonate, you know, with it in any particular way. I didn't think it was necessarily bad, but I didn't really think anything of it. Now I'm like, oh, I'm kind of, now that I'm sort of where he was when he created that, I'm a lot more cognizant of the hourglass now than I, than I used to be. Uh, and, and so it's like you can start to see, you can start to see that, hey, I'm going to start having these new experiences of life, new ideas about life, changes in the way I think as I continue aging, probably all the way up until, until I die. So that ability to relate to time and how we think about time, it changes as we age. And this is one of the things that has been really consequential for our society, because it used to be 
that parents and society, they sort of channeled you along a certain path. You know, it's like, hey, you need to do, you need to, you know, grow up, you need to get yourself established in a career, you need to get married, you need to have kids, you know, do these things. And now we've essentially taken away all the guardrails, taken away all the guidance. Everything is you can do whatever you want. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. If your parents are pressuring you to get married, you don't have to worry about that. You know, you can make your own choices, all that stuff. And what happens is people make decisions with profound lifelong consequences in that pre-35 era when they cannot intellectually or emotionally relate to the long-term ramifications of what they are doing, right? And that especially relates to marriage and kids. And you could end up missing your window to kids and not realizing that this militant anti-kid attitude that you might have now, like say I did, is going to change. And maybe it'll change by age 40 or something like that. And then by the time it changes at age 40, it's too late. Or you're really behind the eight ball on it. Another thing that affects our perception of time is this rule, and I'm sure other people have written about this. I don't think there's anything magical about it, but it's one of the things that I, I see now that I'm older and I have a little more perspective is anything that happens within our living memory seems like yesterday, whereas everything from before our living memory seems very far in the past. So I'll give you an example from my own life, which is Ronald Reagan's presidency versus Vietnam. So I graduated from high school in 1988, right? So I'm sort of a child of the 80s in a lot of ways. And, you know, Reagan was really the dominant political figure of the 1980s. And, you know, to me, you know, Reagan seems like yesterday. I talk about Reagan this, and the Reagan era, and all this stuff, and the Soviets, and the Cold War. And you frequently hear Republicans, they talk about Reagan, 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 Reagan. Well, Reagan to me seems like, um, you know, uh, you know, just not that long ago. But Ronald Reagan, like he left office in 1988, uh, I guess technically probably 1980, early 1989. But, you know, I graduated from high school in 1988. That was 33 years ago or something like that. Well, if you you go back in time and project back 33 years before Ronald Reagan, uh, before 1988, that's like 1953. So you're looking here, you're 1950-something. It's like the Eisenhower era. You're like, what? I mean, anything that would have seen to me if I graduated from high school, if you just said 33 years in the past, like, that's insane, right? That's a long time. And think about, like, think about 9-11, right? We all think about 9-11. Like, well, there are people in college who weren't even born when 9-11 happened. So things seem like just yesterday a lot of times, even though, um, you know, a lot of time has passed and, like, they're really, like, much further in the past than we realize. But I can contrast that with Vietnam, Okay, to me, Vietnam always seems like ancient history because I have no memories of the Vietnam War. Uh, But the last combat troops left Vietnam in 1973 and the fall of Saigon was 1975. So that was almost right before I could remember anything. I have some vague recollections when I was a kid about about the boat people from South Vietnam. But this, you know, the Vietnam War was going on during my lifetime. Uh, you know, and in fact, it wasn't even that far behind it, um, you know, and, and sl- almost and I, I think that's a good one because I can starting about 1976, I can actually remember some things. I can remember Jimmy Carter being president, but not Gerald Ford. 
uh, for example. The first song that I remember uh, that for, that was popular when it came out was Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, which was from 1976. I remember a little bit of the disco era, things like that. Um, but, you know, this, you know, right before that was essentially the end of the Vietnam War. Now, that wasn't a prime Vietnam War, but it was still going on. And I remember when Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA came out in 1984. And, you know, I'm like, well, Vietnam, Vietnam. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, that's like my, it's like old people stuff. I'm like, you know, but like, literally, this was writing about stuff that had happened for some people a little, a little more than a decade ago. You know, I, I used to, I, I never thought about, you know, I was listening in, in the 80s. I used to love classic rock. That was my genre. But in the 80s, classic rock wasn't that old. A lot of those songs were, you know, maybe, you know, 15 years old, some of them 10 years old. They hadn't been, you know, performed in the past. Well, now classic rock is essentially the oldies, right? If you listen to that, you really are listening to some old stuff. But, you know, to me, like Vietnam just seems way, way, way back in the dim mists of history. It's something I can't relate to it. I don't know anything about it. It's like reading about the baby boomer generation. I just associate that with a big gap back into the past, even though realistically the Vietnam War was taking place during my own early childhood and it didn't wind down until, um, you know, you know, almost immediately before I could start really remembering current events. And so, uh, you know, maybe this helps explain, for example, why the baby boomers uh, always like to talk about the 60s, always the 60s, the 60s, the 60s, because well, that was like, to them, the 60s probably doesn't seem like that long ago because, you know, they were, you know, as they were in their prime, their youth uh, in that area is, and they feel about the 60s the way I feel about the Reagan administration. Like, oh, it just wasn't that long ago, even though it was 50, you know, 50 something years ago. So, you know, this idea that I think it can give, we can have a very distorted view of time because of the way that we perceive things that happen during our own life and the way that we perceive things that are really not part of our own memory. And so these are just some things to think about in terms of our perception of time because we really do not perceive time statically throughout our lives and you know, we we can have false senses of, of of how the world works. For example, we like, you know, like the boomers in the 60s or a lot of people in the Reagan era, you know, we can anchor or 9-11, we can anchor onto events that are going to seem remote and very, very distant to people who, you know, really have no memory of them, no, no personal memory of them. And so that's why a lot of the things that... Um, you know, we try to keep up the fervor about like World War II, for example. But, you know, World War II stands in relationship to today's kind of younger generations, the way that World War I stood to my generation. I mean, there are still some World War I vet vets left alive when I was a kid. And, you know, people talked about it, had something of a memory of it, but it was certainly not as alive as World War II. Uh, not that I remembered World War II, but um, you know, I knew a lot of World War II veterans. I mean, that was still very much with us. You know, today, um, you know, these young people now relate to that the way that uh, we relate to World War I. So this idea that, you know, the World War II is just going to be, you know, this defining, you know, this defining event. Or, you know, it's just going to, it's just going to, over time, these things are going to turn away. They're going to go. And so I think we need to be very aware of that. And we need to think about how other people are perceiving, perceiving time. We need to uh, relate to that maybe as we're counseling our kids or thinking about things and and how we how we make arguments and there's just a lot of things there and making sure we don't end up deceiving ourselves 
by coming up with some false view of time based on our own skewed perceptions from where we are in life. So that's it for today. Uh, Thank you for listening once again. And again, if you have not yet left a rating on Apple Podcasts, please leave an honest rating. Uh, And if you want to become a a Patreon supporter, that would be great as well. I really appreciate that. That helps keep things sustainable, helps me scale. Uh, And I'll talk to you again next week.